Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. I don't know if you're ready to hear the word this morning, but I want you to know that I'm ready, like a shotgun. Uh, the word is in my bones, like a fire that's been shut up all week long, and, uh, and I can't wait to let it out this morning. And you say, Pastor John, what's up with you today? I don't know, and I didn't have a lot of coffee either, so I just say, Holy Spirit, take control, because uh, I'm excited to bring God's word. Um, the purpose of opposition is the title of this morning's message, and I want to start by sharing that in the late 1800s, there were two brothers that were born in Bavaria, Germany. Their names were Adolf and Rudolf Dassler. And Adolf was very entrepreneurial, um, and they had this idea to start a shoe company. And his brother Rudolf joined him, said, you know what, let's join our efforts. And get this, they started it in the laundry room of their parents' house. I don't know if you could relate to that, if we have any startup people or entrepreneurs that it's like, just give me a corner somewhere and I'll, I'll make it happen. That's kind of how these two brothers were. Uh, but they did become very successful. Their success carried them through the 1930s. And if you know, in Germany around that time, uh, there was the rise of Adolf Hitler. And then into World War II. And so they were still working their shoe business through these hard times. And by the way, uh, Hitler considered Bavaria, Germany to be like the center for the Germans of Germans were in Bavaria. And this is where they found themselves themselves growing up. And so they lived through this whole issue of World War II and Nazism, and they came out on the other side with their business intact and still growing. And they were very skilled and passionate at what they did. And it all had been held together until 1948. So three years after World War II, they had one of their own wars between brothers, and it got so heated that one of the brothers decided, Rudolf said, I'm leaving. I'm done. This is how important. And history doesn't even tell us what this feud was actually about. It just, we know that it was so bad that Rudolf said, I'm out of here. So he crosses the river, which is, Bavaria is a small town relative to Toronto, let's say. And so in the same town, he starts his own company. And Adolf said, you know what, I'm going to continue with my company and the, and the success that we've known from the start. And so they did. By the way, Adolf, his name, his nickname was Adi, and their last name was Dassler. And so from Adolf and his work, we get Adidas. And then across the river, the other brother, Rudolf, started his shoe company, which I know and love today as Puma. And so these, this was the origin of these two uh, companies that today are, are household brand names. Uh, in fact, in those videos, I used to always wear a Puma shirt because when you open my t-shirt drawer, that's all I have, uh, Puma stuff. And I remember Trevor saying, uh, Pastor John, you really should dress a little better. So I upgraded to a hoodie in the opening sequence of our videos. Um, but I, I don't know why, but I'm drawn to Puma as a brand. But you see, these two brothers ran two companies, 
and they were constantly competing. And, and I know there were some after effects in the city. Uh, tradition tells us that people, instead of looking each other in the eye, they would actually walk like this to see what shoes you were wearing to know which side of the river you, you were partnered with, so to speak. Um, so when opposition comes, it can have a negative effect. But I'm sure you could agree with me that on the other side, for business, if you know those two brand names, Adidas and Puma, they're staple marks in the sports world, even in fashion and apparel now too. And so the competition, it had some negative effects, but can we also agree that there was some benefit that when you're in competition or there's an opposing force, it causes maybe you to work extra hard. It causes you to do even better. And it pushes you to a whole other level that maybe you thought you never could achieve yourself. So here's the truth. Everyone faces opposition. And if you say you've never faced opposition, let's chat for, uh, let's get a coffee this week. And I'd love for you to tell me what the secret is. But here's the thing. Everyone faces opposition, but almost no one welcomes it. Everyone faces opposition, but almost no one welcomes it. Why? Well, I think it's uncomfortable. It's not agreeable, that situation to deal with. And so people just like to avoid it until it's too late and it's right there. So if you're facing opposition, it means that there is something or someone that is coming against you, something or someone, when we're talking about opposition. And let's be honest, no one that I know seems to like that, when someone comes and you butt heads. Opposition in the dictionary is defined as resistance or dissent, expressed in action or argument. So if opposition is truly inevitable, then the question we must ask is this, is there a purpose to opposition in my life? Is there a purpose to opposition in my life? And to find the answer today um, to that, would you stand and turn to the book of James with me? As we're going to read what the word of God has to say. The book of James and we're going to begin reading at verse 2. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. So here's what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Don't, don't skip that, but consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that your word is already anointed. And I just pray that same anointing be upon me, my mind, my lips, my heart, that I might speak your word only. Lord, I thank you for the privilege we have to even open your word here in this wonderful country of Canada. And God, I pray that we would be blessed as a result of hearing from your word today. Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do. I surrender and submit it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. In verse 2, it says this, Count it all pure joy. Pure joy. But we just finished saying that this is not fun. Opposition's not fun. We don't like to deal with it. But when we come to James, 
He's talking about trials, challenges, problems. How many of you know some people can be problems and trials in your life? They cause them, right? And here's what we ought to do. Count it all joy. I don't, I'm not really good at that if I can be honest. So this message I'm preaching to myself as well. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So it's a command. Count it all joy is a command. Suggesting the need for a definitive decision to take up a joyful attitude. See, your circumstance might not be favorable. In fact, if it's opposition and trials and challenge, it's not favorable. But here's the thing. It's your decision how you approach it. And so it's a command. Count it all joy, Jonathan, when you face opposition. Count it all joy when it gets tough in your life, Jonathan. And I have to remember that it's my choice to choose to count it all joy. So the command is remarkable because it applies to a situation in which a joyful reaction is actually unnatural in those situations when facing all of those trials. So why rejoice? Why should we rejoice? Why should we count it all joy? Well, these trials, it tells us in James, we read it, these trials are a means of testing through which God works to perfect faith. Right? We believe that God wants us to go from strength to strength, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Right? So how does that process look like? Hard times come. I'm going to persevere that my faith might grow. What happens in the process? I mature, and then I lack nothing because he is my supply through it all. So this is an important passage that we read it, and it sounds pretty, but we actually have to stop and dissect it for our, our brains to begin to process. And my prayer is that God's word doesn't just stay here. Right? We're not here today for information. My prayer is the word rests here on the fertile ground of your heart. That from the heart, the issues of life will flow out. And the Bible says from the heart, the mouth speaks. Right, So we're not here for information, but we're here for transformation. And let God do his work as his word is the seed that will go down. So... Here's the thing. Why rejoice? Well, because as we're tested, God is going to be perfecting our faith through that process. A lot of times we don't like the process. We like the finished product, right? Microwaves, cell phones. I say this a lot. I upgraded to iPhone 10 because iPhone 7 was getting old. It was getting slow. So now I can actually check my email like 1.2 seconds faster. Isn't that cool? And I'm like, I need the speed. I need it faster. I can browse between apps and just flick my finger and I'm there. But we like convenience and we like the end product. We probably don't like the process. Imagine how long it took to design and do the research to make this phone. But I just want it now. Give it to me now. Our food, give it to me now. Internet speeds. I just heard Rogers and Bell were competing for that one gigabit internet speed if you, to try to win back customers. And, they, and they're giving it for like ridiculously low prices in Toronto. And uh, by the way, maybe some of you need to go and, and call your internet provider for a deal. 
perhaps. But why do we want the one gigabit speed? Because, you know, 50 is not fast enough to watch Netflix anymore. And we want it fast. The download is too, taking too long. I want it fast. Can I get a witness today? Right? This is how we've become as individuals and as a society. Like, how long is it going to take? Maybe some of you are saying, how long is he preaching today? Hurry up, Pastor John. I thought it was like going to shoot out faster than that. Right? But it's a process. One more thing, and then I'm going to jump back here. Jesus often spoke about farming, right? That was like what they were familiar with in, in that day, his parables. It was about farming, sowing seed. Um, you know, and, and maybe today we want to use other examples that we are familiar with. But guess what? We can't rush the process. And when Jesus would talk about agriculture and farming, guess what? There are seasons that you need to wait. There are seasons of bearing fruit, and there's a season where it looks like that tree is dead, but it's just resting. You see, you have to learn to respect the process. And today's message, I believe, is a process. It's not like, come, let's come to the altar, say a couple of prayers, spend like five and a half minutes, because that extra half, 30 seconds is going gonna, is gonna to do it, right? It's going to push us a little over with God, and it's going to be good. But when God is saying, yeah, but this is a lifelong journey, this is a lifelong process, take your time. Take your time. So why rejoice? Because God is working through the trial, through the opposition that you might be facing, through the challenges of life. So that word testing refers to process. And it's by which silver or gold is refined by fire. And we talked about fire two weeks ago. But suffering is a means by which faith, tested in the fires of adversity, can be purified of any dross and thereby strengthened. So get rid of the impurities, the, the, the dross, and what you're left with is actually strengthened, solid gold. So in our context of James chapter 1, the idea then is not that trials determine whether a person has faith or not. That's not what we're actually checking here. Rather, they strengthen the faith that is already present. And this is what is happening through the trial and through the trial by fire in your life. Is you're coming out stronger. We're not looking to see, do they have faith or do they not have faith? No, they're, they're, to each has been given a measure of faith, the Bible says. But now are you ready for your faith to be strengthened and solidified? And so the bottom line is this today. Opposition doesn't have to be the end of you. And the church said... Amen. Opposition doesn't have to be the end of you. You might feel like it is and you might think it is, but it doesn't have to be. It can be the beginning of your opportunity. So stop fighting opposition and start embracing it. This is our homework this week. And why does it matter? If you don't get this truth today, church, you will swim in frustration. And what's worse after the waters settle in your situation, your trials will not produce the perseverance that should lead to the maturity in your life. This is the thing. When you don't embrace the trial, you don't embrace the situation or the opposition in your life and face it and walk through it, you're going to come out of it disgruntled, frustrated, disappointed, angry, hurt. And you might even choose to walk away. But you don't have to. You don't have to. Here's the best part. As you face your trials and you walk through it, 
I'm reminded of a simple scripture that says, I will be with you even till the end of the age. Who said that? Jesus. So though you might feel like, where are all my friends? Where are, where's my family? Why am I all alone walking through this? I want you to know that Jesus is right there, but you have to call on him. And you have to invite him through that process with you. If you try on your own, you might succeed a little, but I think you can go all the way with Jesus. You can go all the way with Jesus. So I want to share some examples in Scripture because it's nice to talk, to be based in James. But I want to give you some stuff that you can process as well. And take notes if, of these passages. Read them better when you get home. But the early church, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, says this. A great wave of persecution began that day. This is where Paul, uh, well, Saul, was going around and he was grabbing all the Christians and throwing them in prison. And, and, and a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, get this, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. It's like they're, they're fleeing for the safety. But I want to also read with you something else. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, just three verses later, it says this, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And guess what? In the book of Acts, as you read through it, the early church, whenever they were persecuted and they had to scatter and move around, guess what? The Bible tells us that the church kept growing. The church kept growing from their ministry. Why? Because they were on mission and they wouldn't stop. They knew that this is not like we're, we're facing opposition, but we're not going to stop. How many times were the disciples told, if you mention and preach in the name of Jesus again, or give him the credit for this person's healing, we're going to throw you in jail. And they said, okay. So they were released, and guess what's the first thing they did? They began to preach again and talk about Jesus and say, oh, and then people were healed. And this goes on and on. It repeats in the book of Acts. And I want you to know today that you're not alone in this. And we're having examples in Scripture. Every time persecution came, it led to scattering, but guess what? Also multiplication. Like a good weed, if that's a bad example. But we have some weeds in our backyard. There was just a little one, and I just left it. But it, guess what? It multiplied. That's what the early church was doing. And, and I'm sure it feels scared to be scattered because the nucleus is broken, but but God uses those situations too, and it grew. Uh, Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor of Life Church, says this problems are not things to be feared, but they're opportunities to embrace. So don't be so afraid of, of what is sitting on the plate. Tomorrow's Monday, the week starts over. And I know some of you love the safety and shelter of Sunday service. You're like, if we could just stay in church all week long, Pastor, it would be awesome, right? No, but the reality is tomorrow we go to work, 9 to 5. I, and I always say this, when we close in prayer in a few minutes, I say this is when church starts. Because we're called to be the church for the world, not just to, to meet together. This is part of what we get to do. But really, we get to be God's hands and feet wherever we go. Amen? And so church actually starts when we pray and dismiss at 12 o'clock or so. And then we say, yeah, but... Tomorrow, you know, all the problems, I thought Friday, I thought maybe a couple, of, and then you know you're going to have to face it. Don't worry. Embrace the problem. 
because it's also going to be an opportunity for you. In Mark chapter 10, verses 47 and 49, we, fly, we find blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, another example. And he's blind, obviously. He hears that Jesus is coming nearby. And so this is what he does in verse 47 of Mark 10. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder. Was there opposition? Yes. What were they telling him to do? Be quiet. Be quiet. And he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. And guess what? The end result of that story is blind Bartimaeus. Delete the first word. He's just Bartimaeus now. And he could see. You see, you will face opposition that will even try to stop you from calling out to God. I don't know what form for you it might look like. It might be family who, who say, oh, why do you go to that church? I don't know. I don't know what your situation might be. It might be your colleagues at work saying, well, why do you go to church? Why do you wake up so early? Why? And they just say, what's the point? Be quiet. Don't talk to me about that. Don't, don't, you know, and they try to suppress you. But I love Bartimaeus because when they say, be quiet, he just says it even louder. And as a church, let nothing steal your joy. Count it all joy. Let nothing steal your praise. Today, you know what I loved about worship today? Um, there were no other instruments except our voices and a guitar. You know, and there's something beautiful when we use this God-given instrument to begin to worship Him. Because it's a sound, like I said last week, that the world doesn't really know but it hears it and it's amazed because of the passion behind our worship. It's something special that we can do as believers. So let nothing stop your praise of God. Joy, praise, but now also on calling on His name. Don't, don't, don't let any situation or any person or environment stop you from calling out when you need Him most. You see, Bartimaeus could have just stopped and said, Oh yeah, you're right, I'm... I, I'm just a blind guy. I'm just an accessory on the side of the road, perhaps. Bartimaeus didn't view it like that at all. He shouted only louder. Why? He said, if there's one person that can help me, that can change me, change my life, it's Jesus. So I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to grab a hold of his attention. Church, may we be like that as well. Call on the name of Jesus. I don't care what stands in front of you telling you to shut up or be quiet or stop. You're too rambunctious. You call on the name of the Lord because He is a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe. Can you say amen? And this is what we have to understand. It's a process. It's a process. I've been at those, those places in life, the depth, the bottom, where you're like, Jesus, this, you're all that I have. You're all that I have, so I call on you. And guess what? He is close to the brokenhearted. So he's close. He's, he's near you today as well. That's blind Bartimaeus. In John 16, says, I have told you these things, Jesus speaking, so that in me, not in your friends or your, your money or your house and your assets, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I 
have overcome the world. So who, what better name can we call on than Jesus? Amen? Jesus faced great opposition since birth. Uh, Herod wanted to kill all the firstborns because he didn't want another king that the people would like. He wanted to be king. So since birth, Jesus faced opposition. Herod wanted him dead. Religious Pharisees. There was Judas, one of his very own, that, that would betray him. And yet, Jesus persevered. He went the distance for you and for me. What, a, what an incredible Savior. Amen. And I want to give you three things to do the next time you face opposition. Remember, it's a process. It's not just a formula and you press equals and it's done. This is a process. So these are three things uh, I'd like you to do that you should remember the next time you face opposition or challenges or trials. And so number one is this. Choose joy. Choose joy. Choose joy. Why? Knowing what it will produce in you. And then number two, persevere. Why? Knowing you'll make it to the other side. You'll make it. With Jesus, you will. On your own strength, I'm not so sure. I can't guarantee you that. And then number three, ask Jesus to show you how you can use this season to encourage and build up others. Here's, here's what I believe. God allows us to walk through some of those things. Some of us would like to be delivered from trials and, and tribulations and problems. Um, but the picture in my life is, is kind of like me walking, but holding Jesus' hand through it all. And, and a lot of you know my testimony, but for those maybe who don't, my mother died when I was 23 in a tragic car accident. I just finished four years of Bible school, and I thought, like, this is awesome. Life is good. I bought my first sports car. Uh, I souped it up. I was a youth pastor trying to be cool with all the kids. And, and within a month and a half, my mom was dead, just like that. And so when I talk about, like, walking through it, I literally mean it was not easy. And I'm here today in ministry still. Why? Well, because I'm, I am living proof that God is good and that as you call out from the depth, Jesus, that, that he is really near. He's way closer than you would probably even know. But I'm speaking a little from my own experience that I know you might feel like you're alone, but Jesus is there saying, just, just call my name. Just, just call my name. I dare you. Because you're going to see how I can break through in this situation for you. Choose joy. Persevere. And then ask Jesus to show you. See, this is the thing. My life didn't stop after my mom died. My ministry was actually just getting started. I preached literally my first sermon that Friday night. And on Sunday, that's what happened. And I thought... Jesus, is this what ministry is supposed to be like for me and for my family? And, but I determined, remember, count it all joy when you face these things. So I determined, I said, God, what the devil thought would wipe me out is actually making me stronger, right? And today, I'm, I shared about this bracelet, right? Last week, I think it was. I wear it because it was the gift that my parents gave me at my Bible school graduation. And it's not like a relic or something that it's like, if I don't have it, I can't preach. It's nothing like that. It's just, it's a meaningful reminder to me of, of what my faith, my heritage, my family, but what God has also done when I lost her after. And so I wear it as a symbol of, of a reminder as 
God, you've never let me go. You've been so faithful. And in closing, I just want to say this. Stop fighting opposition and start embracing it. Stop fighting opposition and start embracing it. See, opposition doesn't have to be the end of you, but let it be the beginning of your opportunity to becoming who God wants you to be. God wants to use you through your trials. God wants to use you, but you have to be willing to say, God, take my hands, take my feet, take my whole life, actually. And if you could do anything, Lord, use, use me. Use me. And you know what? I've discovered that through it all, I've been able to encourage so many other people as a result of what I've experienced as a young guy. I get to preach at funerals. Who would have ever thought that that would be a blessing? But I actually love to do it because people look at me as a young man and they say, well, what does he know about suffering? What, is, what does he know about, you know, death? He's so young. And I often share that story and then you see the whole room change because now I can relate with everyone in the room. And they know that, they, wow, if he can do this, then, you know, we're, we're doing okay. So I just want to encourage you, church. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to invite Brooke to come. And uh, they're going to lead us in a song as we close this morning's service. But here's how we're going to end. You might be walking through something. And all you might need is just a hand around your back praying for you. And as, as they begin to sing, what I'm going to invite you to do is I'm just going to open up these altars for a time of prayer uh, because here's the thing, when I was walking through some of the thick, uh, hard parts of life, some of the most meaningful thing, things that people did with me is not talk to me and try to use words. You know what it was? A hand on the shoulder and a prayer, praying from, from the depth of their heart over one another. And so here's my promise to you. We're going to open these altars, and if you're here, and you're facing opposition, but you say, but I want to embrace it, but it, I just don't know how yet. Well, you've heard the word, but I just, I, I feel like we need to just come around you who might be feeling the pressures of life, who might be feeling like everyone is against me. I want you to know that he is for you and not against you. And that you can be everything God called you to be, but you have to just simply say, God, here's my life. I give it to you. So I'm going to open these altars, and, and if no one comes, then I assume that this word is for us to take home, um, and, and I don't care if no one comes. I'm just saying, if you need prayer, you just need that hand around you and someone to pray for you, we're going to do that as a church family, uh, but in the meantime, we're going to worship, and I want you to know these altars are open, amen, so would you lead us in that song, and then I'm going to come up and close in a few minutes, but come, these altars are open for prayer, and we want to surround you today. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.